I'm sure many of you were hit far worse than I was. I kind of, I don't have Rogers. Um, I really noticed it at the grocery store because of course, everything was closed. All the self-checkouts were closed. You had to use cash unless you had certain credit cards, but really not uh, such a big deal. A lot of other people had a much worse day today. We know that Interact was down. Um, debit was not available for most of the day. Arrive can down. Passport offices, police, courthouses, even the CRTC, allegedly, the people were supposed to be monitoring this stuff. They use Rogers. Some Rogers customers couldn't make 911 calls. We understand that's not supposed to happen. We'll have to look into that. Um, the weekend was supposed to play in Toronto tonight at the Rogers Center, of course. That's been postponed because of service outages. In Toronto, where, of course, there are a lot of Rogers users, people flocked to use Wi-Fi at coffee shops just to get some work done. Here's Catherine Bowen. She's an independent fashion uh, fashion consultant, and she was on the floor of a Starbucks trying to reach folks. I don't really know because right now I'm staying in Starbucks until my phone dies because at least I can call and text while I'm here. But as soon as I leave, I can't, I can't get any service at all. Yeah. Nine million wireless customers, just shy of three million customers on the cable and internet side of their business. That's a lot of people. How did it impact you today? Let me know. I'd be curious. 877-399-9898. 877-399-9898. Let me know who you are and where you are. Are you surprised that this happened? What can be done about it? How did it impact you today? Let me know. We'll share those throughout the show. The company, of course, has apologized. It all comes as Rogers is attempting to win regulatory approval for its $26 billion takeover of Shaw Communications ahead of a July 31st deadline. It'd be hard to figure out where that's going now. This does highlight, some say today, the impact of a lack of competition in Canada's telecom sector. Well, joining me now with more on this is David Skillcorn. He's a professor in the School of Computing at Queen's University in Kingston, He's also the head of the NSEC Create Cybersecurity Program at Queen's and Royal Military College. Thank you for your time tonight. Good to talk to you. This is quite the wake-up call, isn't it? I mean, how does an entire network go down for so long? Or, I mean, is it surprising that an entire network could go down for so long across the country? Well, I think the surprise for most people will be that they're kind of aware that they live their lives in cyberspace but they're probably not so aware of all the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that also happens in cyberspace. And so I think the shock from today's outage is really about the fact that point-of-sale terminals are not working, that ATMs are not working, and all kind of back-office stuff is not functioning. I gather that the ArriveCan app doesn't work today either. And it just goes to show how much we've moved our lives into the internet not just as individuals, but as businesses and governments and any organization you can think of. And it's created this this huge vulnerability that we've seen exposed today. I gather 911 calls are down as well. Yeah, um, that's another, well, not all of them. But not all, but I mean, some of them, Rogers, yeah. yeah. I thought and that wasn't supposed to happen. CBC station was off the air today because of some issue arising from this. Yeah, and the CRTC's phone lines too apparently are down. Ironically, um, I thought nine one one was meant to be protected in these in these situations. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what the stories are referring to, but for example, um, people who have voice over IP phones uh, can't access nine one one directly. It has to go somewhere and then connect to the hardwired nine one one, and so that may be what they're talking about. So. When something like this happens, and this isn't the first time this has happened of late, we had another outage last summer. Uh, what does it signal about the vulnerability of the system? 
Well, the I mean, the problem is we really only have like two and a half uh, network carriers that carry all of this internet traffic in in various different places, and and that's been kind of a an obvious vulnerability for a while. I'm I'm part of a project which is looking at setting up a a public safety broadband network so that there will be a parallel network that will keep running when these kinds of outages happen. But of course, that's not free. And, and that's really the fundamental problem. All these telcos really would have to spend more money to be resilient. And of course, that impacts their bottom line and their shareholders. And so there's always kind of some reluctance to do that. And yet when these sorts of events happen, it, I can't imagine it's good for the bottom line. No, but it's, I mean, it's the fact that it's happened slowly and we really don't understand as a total society how much we've come to depend on this infrastructure. In some ways, it, you know, it's as fundamental as electricity and water and things like that, and yet somehow it doesn't resonate at the same level of importance. Given the project that you're working on, I know that exists in other countries where not the entire system is owned and operated by private telcos. Uh, what sort of resilience would that provide and how realistic is it that it will come to fruition? Well, I think there's a number of the pieces that are sort of already in place. I mean, the key idea is that you don't put all your eggs into the one, two, three baskets that we're currently in, but you actually build parallel infrastructure. So there are cables that will connect things in parallel, and there's a different flavor of radio connection that isn't just Wi-Fi, 3, 4, 5G, but, and therefore will, will work even when those systems don't. In a way, it's kind of stepping back to a more primitive technology, but, but that means that it's also a bit more reliable. If to, to go back to the outage today, though, I mean, I, I imagine that would at least provide some redundancy because I gather what we're witnessing today is the idea that there is no safety net for a lot of these systems. Yeah, I mean, you know, we already have the, the parallel systems of, of Rogers and, and, and Bell and so on. So, I mean, the whole country didn't go down, only 25% of it did. <laughs> but, but that's quite a big percentage. It is. It, I mean, it, it's huge if you think about it. Uh, but if there is no safety net, how then do you, A, impress upon people that this is critical infrastructure and what can be done? I mean, you've mentioned part of it, but does need more need to be done to make sure there is redundancy in the system so we can avoid situations like what we saw today? Specifically, as you mentioned, considering how reliant it seems so many of us are, both commercially, individually, on these systems to function. Yeah, it's, it's a little surprising to me that, that the entire Rogers world sort of went down in one big hit, because I know internally there is resilience in their systems, and, and this doesn't look like the sort of outage that happens in like one part of the country or because they updated one computer system. This, this seems to be pretty much across their whole world, and, and that's a, in itself a, a bit of a puzzle, I, I think it's, it's fair to say. Um, but and, and presumably they would like to have more resilience, but, but until we know exactly what happened, it's hard to know what fix might have been. I remember one case was it was a beaver not responsible once when part of the system went down, at least out west. Um, well, things like that happen all the time, but usually yeah. they only bring down a tiny piece of the system, not the entire thing. You mentioned earlier that we have two and a half systems in this country. Um, there is a movement afoot for um, a Rogers and Shaw deal. Do you think this uh, damages that at all? I know that's not necessarily your lane, but uh, do you think this would be an argument against uh, more concentration in this, in this industry? Well, I mean, the timing is really terrible, isn't it, for that, for that kind of takeover? Um, because all that is doing is reducing the number of players in the field, and that 
doesn't look like a good thing sitting here today. What then should the federal government be doing then? I mean, this is, if this is in fact critical infrastructure, then clearly this is something that, uh, that it should be in the hands of Ottawa at the end of the day. Uh, what should they be doing then to make sure that, uh, that the system is more resilient? Well, I mean, they've been trying. The, the, the so federal government has three pieces of their kind of cybersecurity defensive strategy. One is individuals, and that's been going reasonably well. One is the government, and that's been going really very well. But the third piece is critical infrastructure, and there they have not managed to get traction, even over the last almost 15 years now. And it's not just the telcos, it's uh, hydro and electricity and, and uh, um, finance and all of those things where they've been pushing reasonably hard to try and get those organizations to take resilience seriously and been getting really almost no take up. I'm speaking with David Skilcorn. He's a professor in the School of Computing at Queen's University and head of the Insert to Create Cybersecurity Program at Queen's and RMC in Kingston. When we come back, we'll talk about more, just a bit more about how you can protect yourself. What can you do to make sure that uh, when one system goes down, you're not left vulnerable? Uh, We'll be back with that. My guest this half hour is David Skilcorn. He's a professor in the School of Computing at Queen's University and head of the Insert Create Cybersecurity Program at Queen's and Royal Military Colleges, both in Kingston. Uh, David, what what can individual consumers do? I mean, there was a lot of uh, I told you so's going on today, but uh, what can individual consumers do to better protect themselves to provide some some redundancy within their own uh, their own home, for instance, or their own their own uh, connections? Well, I mean, one of the things is to, to ne- not necessarily walk into the package deals that many of the telcos try to push. Right? They, you know, they would like you to have your, your internet and your cable and your phone and everything through a single provider. And, and maybe the kind of outage we're seeing here suggests that really that's not an ideal thing to do as a consumer. I've heard from some of my friends that the only reason they could get any work done today was that their spouse happened to have signed up with a different provider and therefore they, could, they had a workaround. Um, so that's one thing to think about. Um, this is, of course, not on any single consumer, but there's kind of generic things that people should do to make sure that they keep their, their system safe. And I guess we talk about these over and over again, you know, make sure that updates are, are installed as soon as you can. Um, make sure that you restart your system once in a while and that you're not using illegal pirated software and so on. I imagine this must have been a very expensive day across this country. Then, yet another reminder of how uh, of how important these infrastructures are. Or this infrastructure is right now. Yeah, and most of it won't get counted, right? Because it's it's the irritation of people who couldn't do something that they wanted to do, but nobody will ever ask them, and so they'll get left out of the calculation. I happen to know that that um, tomorrow is Eid, and it's a traditional day to give cash presents. And uh, some of my Islamic friends are very glad that they got money out of the ATM before today, because it looks like that's going to be a problem for many people. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, again, just to go back to the beginning, it does kind of boggle the mind just how much, just walking around even where I am today, how much was impacted by this one outage? Yeah. And, and not just the things you can see, but the things that you can't see behind the scenes. You know, there's, there's probably... Uh, Amazon orders that got lost and, and planes that got uh, can flights that got cancelled because they couldn't do the check-in or they couldn't do the flight planning or whatever. We we won't know about those things for a few days at least probably. The, the knock-on effects are just huge from this. So going forward then, um, to use that term, <laughs> term that, that we use too often, but looking ahead, say, what needs to be done now if this is yet another wake-up call? 
both for Rogers and for the rest of us. What do you think should be done to try and improve things? Uh, what would you like to see come of this one? Because often what happens, like last summer's, you know, Rogers offers a, a rebate or offers some compensation. Everyone just sort of forgets, goes about back about their normal lives. Uh, maybe they get a landline again. Who knows? But um, what do you think would be an ideal outcome of this one if we were not to suffer through this again? Yeah, as you said earlier, once you see that this is a, a sort of a piece of critical infrastructure in a way that maybe hasn't been so obvious, then it's clear that the government has to get involved and they have to get involved in a fairly serious way uh, in what they might otherwise prefer to be like economic decisions. Clearly, it's not enough to make decisions based on just on profit for something that impacts so much of our lives. And that has changed, obviously. Has has the regulatory environment caught up with just how much we've become, specifically during the pandemic, how much we've come to depend on this infrastructure for just about everything? Well, no, the regulatory environment is always running years behind the reality of what's out there. And that's because all of the technology is changing so fast, right? But, I mean, you look at other countries and you see that Canada is a, a bit of an outlier in terms of paying a lot more and not getting particularly more than anybody else. And so there's, there's some structural problems in the system that the government could also have a look at. It. And they've tried. They said, you know, we're going to impose limits on how much you can charge people. But, but that doesn't actually help if it means the telcos, you put in less infrastructure. Yeah, that seems like a bit of a, <laughs> a a bit of a pyrrhic victory, then, doesn't it? When you when you get them to charge less, but then they invest less in the system. Why is Canada an outlier? I know this question gets asked a lot, but I lived abroad for quite a while, and you know, in a lot of countries, uh, cell phone service is relatively cheap. You know, it, it is uh, telco service is relatively inexpensive. It isn't here, and you're right. We don't seem to get uh, to get better service. Why is that? Uh, well, I don't really have a deep explanation. I mean, I think there's entrenched interests that are able to block changes. Maybe there isn't enough competition. I mean, it's a long, thin country in terms of where the population is, which makes it expensive to connect people. Um, but when, yeah, when you look at the, the prices of internet access in India and places like that, it, it makes Canada look very sick. And, and with, with not necessarily a, a hugely better uh, product at the end of the day either. No, I would I would argue that really Canada's at least in the middle of the table and maybe lower down than that in terms of the quality of what we get access to. How do you fix that? I mean, it would seem like not just a question of consumer convenience or consumer happiness, but as you mentioned earlier, this would now be a question of national security, a question of economic security. Yeah, I mean, the problem is the internet has no borders and it's this, this worldwide thing. But the local access points, the place where you first connect to the internet, are very geographical. And therefore, in a sense, the the first rung of the ladder has very tight control over individuals, at least. And that surely must be part of the problem. So a last word to you then. uh, when we look back at today, what uh, what should we what should we have learned? What 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 should we have learned going forward in a nutshell? Well, I hope that the that journalists try and figure out all the places in which this had an impact so that we can create that big list so that people will not just say, oh, I couldn't read my email for a day, but really understand that an awful lot of the country didn't function today. And that if this had been the day when something nasty had happened with the Russians or something like that, Canada would have been in deep trouble. Yeah. You, uh, tell me about that, because that is, cybersecurity is obviously something you work on. We were vulnerable today, weren't we? 
yeah, just if only just because people couldn't communicate, right? So, I mean, there are committees in Ottawa that are designed to respond to bad things happening in the world quickly, but because of the pandemic, they're not in person. <laughs> and so all of a sudden you're talking about crisis management committees trying to communicate with half of them connected via Rogers connections in some form and therefore unable to join in. And that could have been really, really serious. David Skilcorn, thank you so much for your time tonight. Good to talk to you.